Welcome to the live weekly message from the auditorium at Encounter. You may not be here in person, but you are still part of the family. Our speaker today is author and lead pastor, Michael Rice. Turn with me, if you will. Galatians. Chapter 2, verse 20. The Lord's heart. I'm going to share the Lord's heart with you. This message simply entitled, Living Like Dead People. Galatians 2, 20. I'm reading out the New King James. As you're turning there, I want to greet those that are joining us online. We're glad that you're here with us. We hope that uh, you allow the spirit of the word of God and the spirit himself to minister to you. We want you to know that we see you as part of the family here. And so if you, you want to comment or join in the comments online, you're welcome to do that. If you have a prayer request, you need something you want us to pray with you about, feel free to share that. Uh, every Sunday at some point in time, I go over the, the video comments, and, and if there's prayer requests, I pray about those. And then I typically check in later in the week as well. But we want to welcome you that are here with us online. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm going to go back and focus on the first line of that verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray with me and for me this morning? Father, I know that you've spoken to my heart, and yet I still don't feel adequate to or equipped to, to adequately share your heart. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask you to do what you do so well. Father, I pray for clarity of thought. I pray for liberty in my spirit to share. And God, I just, I just claim this truth, that your word will not return void. It will accomplish that which you have sent it to do. Amen. There are some pastors that are wanting God to bring revival to their church. A move of God, an awakening. And th there was a, a time I probably would have put myself in that group. But i am become keenly aware that what he, the Spirit of God, is going to be doing is not a revival. I don't think, if I understand the Spirit of God, I don't think what we're needing in the body of Christ is an awakening. 
I don't think what we need is a revival. I don't don't think we need a series of meetings. Sharing years and years and years ago in a pastor group, had one pastor that had an individual in their church that was just giving them fits. And in his mind, he felt like that one individual who had great influence over the body was hindering everything that God wanted to do. And he made the statement, I am one funeral away from revival. (laughs) I think we are many funerals away from a revival. I'm not talking about physical funerals. There's a movie out. I would not suggest watching it. Watched it many, many years ago called The Sixth Sense. And there's a scene in that movie where the little boy turns to the character played by Bruce Willis and he's terrified. And he tells Bruce Willis, I see dead people. He was terrified because he was seeing dead people where he should see living people. I'm terrified that in the church we are seeing living people where we should see dead people. That we ought to be living our life like dead people live their lives. And yet we think that God has somehow obligated himself to make us fat and happy. That God is somehow obligated to meet all of our needs and all of our wants and all of our desires. That God is here to be, do our bidding and our beckoning. And if God doesn't do that, then God isn't doing his job. But in reality, Paul said, Paul who had a pretty good connection with God said, I'm a dead man. Let's read his words. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It's no longer I who live. Let's talk about the attributes of dead people. Number one, dead people don't have opinions. Dead people don't have opinions. We in the church have become so opinionated about every little thing, every little nuance, every little wrinkle, every little... We're opinionated about it. We can get all messed up over the way somebody says something or the way that they act 
If they don't have all of their theology right, then they're wrong and everything. How many know what I'm talking about? They're not quite right there, so they must not be saved. Years ago, Gail Beth and I did foster care, and there was this little boy we took care of for a while. His name was Mike. And this wasn't through foster care. This was just some, a need in some young mother's life, and for a little season, we, we helped her with her child. Do I have that right, if I remember? And so we took care of little Mike. How old was he? Man, that was so long ago. Not quite two. We took the little kid around whose name just happened to be Mike. And we'd go to the grocery store and we'd go someplace and people go, oh my gosh, he's a split image of you. We can tell whose dad that, that little boy belongs to. I didn't have the heart to tell him, this isn't my kid. We, we, we want to determine that people belong to or don't belong to God by some little stupid thing. In all of our years of pastoring, I have not only, unfortunately, seen times when churches got to fussing with each other. I've been asked by denominational leadership to be interjected into church fights to try to solve them. I'm 63 years old. I have never seen a church fight about anything important. It's been about the time of the service, the temperature in the building, the loudness or softness of the music, about the color of the carpet. We shouldn't have spent so much money on the pews. What are we doing putting in new carpet when the building needs painted? What are we doing painting the building when it needs new carpeting? One church bought their pastor a car so he could drive and make hospital visits and stuff. And somebody in the church saw the pastor's wife out one day going to the grocery store in the car. And they wanted to take it back away from the pastor. We didn't buy that car for your wife to drive. I'm glad that wasn't me. We church people have too many opinions about things. There's a whole, believe it or not, there's a whole study, procedures for funeral directors that prepare bodies to be displayed in a funeral. There's a whole chapter about how to prepare the face. You want the person to be smiling, but not too much. You want them to be content, but not happy. I've been involved in seeing funeral services that just, just took a downward turn. It just seemed like people got to fighting and 
things got messed up and the wrong song played and somebody say something stupid and somebody started arguing. But I noticed one thing. The dead guy was never bothered by any of it. He started the service with a smile. Halfway through the service, he still had the same smile. As they closed the box, the smile was still on his face. God's looking for us to become a dead church that we don't allow stupid little things to distract us or bother us. Opinions. Dead people don't have any opinions. I never once had to turn to the person in the casket and say, am I doing a good job? Because all they ever did was smile. Everything was okay with them. Paul said, I'm persuaded to be content whatever state I'm in. Some people need to get things just right to be able to worship and just right to be able to pray and just right to be able to live right. And they want to blame all of their lack of spiritual growth on somebody else and something else. But dead people don't have any opinions. Dead people don't have opinions about what God tells them to do. Do I need a bodyguard this morning? Probably the most difficult, challenging command given to anybody in the Word of God is given to, past, is given to husbands. We are to love our wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's what it says. That's, that's tough. How many know what I'm talking about? Not just love, give yourself with abandon. With abandon. And God doesn't ask your opinion about that, whether you like your wife or not. Whether she's done you right or not, is it irrelevant? The command for all of us husbands is to love our wife, period. God really doesn't care what you think about your wife. Quit feeling like you need to tell God all that's wrong with her. Maybe so much that's wrong with her wouldn't be wrong with her if you would love her like Christ loved the church. I said it. As a husband, you've not been called to check God up on what's wrong with your wife. You've been called to be a vessel to love her. Amen. That's good preaching, Pastor. I'm going to bring a near, mirror up here from now on. When I got a message like this, I'm going to bring a mirror up so I can encourage myself in the Lord. Wives, the Bible says, submit yourselves to your own husband. God doesn't care what you think about him. He doesn't give a husband an excuse not to love you. He doesn't give you an excuse not to submit. Now, submit isn't slavery. If you understand, don't understand submit, it's another lesson another time. 
but it's in the Word of God. And your opinion about that doesn't matter. For a, a true believer, he tells us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. He doesn't want your opinion about how hard that is. I've been serving God more than a couple of days, and there's never been one time where God has said to me, do you got a moment? I want to get your input on this before I make a decision. He, he just tells me, go. I don't have any choice in the matter. He tells me to go to that one. I don't like that person, God. I sat in a man's living room, a dining room one day, who had backslid, used to be a minister of the gospel, and I sat in the dining room, and I'm sharing with him. This is my third or fourth visit, and I'm sharing with him about God's love for him, but he's getting agitated. He's getting angry, and finally he says to me, get out of my house. If you say one more thing about God's hand on my life, I'm going to get my shotgun and shoot you in the face. Now get out of my house. God said, tell him. And I'm like, did you just hear the man, the, the veins are on his neck. His face is red. He's shaking. He's so mad. God says, tell him he hasn't preached his last message. But I'll let him choose. He can either preach it here on earth or he'll preach for an eternity in hell. But he will be preaching again. God didn't ask me, how do you think that'll go over? God didn't give me a way out. He didn't say, you know, if you think this is bad, just you call the shot here. So with as much love as I could muster, I looked across the table and I told him that. He got up and ran down the hall. At that point, I figured it was time to leave. I got up. Thankfully, the door was closed, and I walked out the door. Holy Spirit told me, make sure you don't run. I don't know what it's like, what that was for. Maybe it's like a bear. If you run, the bear will chase you. I don't know. But at this point in time, I figure I better do exactly what God says, how God says to do it. And so I got up from the table, and I walked out the door and walked down the steps and got in my car to turn and look and see him standing in the screen door with his shotgun. A dead person doesn't have an opinion about it. God says, go, they go. God says, speak, they speak. God says, do, they do. God says, give, they give. God says, hold your peace, they hold their peace. God says, don't say anything. They don't say anything. It's whatever God says. They don't have any opinions about what God's doing in their life. We love that verse in, in Revelation chapter 3. That God will open doors that no man can shut. And we're like, yeah, 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 God. I want that job. I want that man. I want that woman. I want that car. I want that house. I want this career change. I want, I want, I want. 
And God, you open doors that no man can shut. And, and we rarely ever quote the second half of the verse that says, and he shuts doors <clears throat> that no man can open. And we celebrate the first one, and we don't even acknowledge the second. But a dead person doesn't have any opinions. If you're willing to celebrate when God opens the door, but you feel rejected when he closes the door, he's not God, you are. You and I need to know something. He's God all the time. Not just when he does it the way we think he ought to do it. Not just when we get the person or the house or the job or the miracle that we think he's as much a God when he closes the door. He's just as much God and we ought to be willing to celebrate that. God, this door didn't open for me. Yeah, Beth and I, we were so desperate to get out of a place we were at in pastoring. And we went to a church that was as diametrically opposed, different than what we were leaving. The church we were at was, I mean, we, 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 five years in, we still struggled to keep the lights on. It's just hard. I don't know how else to put it. It's just hard. And we're being considered for this church that's the largest church in town. They just spent $300,000 building a brand new parsonage. They're going to pay us more in a week than we're getting in a month at the other place. Hey, and there's actually people there. There's actually people showed up for service. We, we candidated there, and we preached, and we ministered to the people, met with them afterwards, and we had them hugging our necks. Can't wait for you to come back. There's no doubt you're the guy. Man, we love you. This is awesome. We got in our car and started driving home, feeling good about that. I don't think it was two hours in, and the Holy Spirit let me know. It's not going to happen. He's still as much God when he closes the door as when he opens it. If your connection with God is determined by what he's doing in your life, then you really don't have a connection to God. You're trying to manipulate him. He's God who opens the door and shuts the door. Come on now. You don't have an opinion about that. You don't feel down, downcast or dejected because you didn't get the promotion. You prayed and prayed and prayed for God's will to be done. And then when God's will was done, you complained about it. You see, dead people don't do that. I like to laugh. Anybody else like to laugh? It don't take much to make me laugh. And if there's nothing to make me laugh, I can make stuff up to make me laugh. 
I was trying to do a funeral. Dead center, 10 feet away from me, were two young men, early 20s. I have no idea what they were laughing about. It's typically not a good idea to laugh at a funeral. Something somewhere triggered their humor, and they sat right there and just fought it. And at times, a giggle would sneak out, and they fought it. You know how it is when you're not allowed to laugh, and it makes it worse? How many know what I'm talking about? I could see everybody around them getting mad. I kept pausing. And then I'd go on, and somebody after service said, I could tell that those two boys down front were really getting you, getting at you. You were, you'd stop. You were about to say something, weren't you? And I had to answer honestly. We better off just leave that alone. And they go, yeah, yeah, I know. No, no, I stopped because I was about to start laughing myself. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. Dead people don't have opinions. They don't, they're not influenced by what other people think of them. The number one reason most Christians don't obey God in a certain circumstance is because what somebody else may think about them. And the reality is in that moment, whether you realize it or not, it may not be a golden calf that you formed in the fire, but you have put a false God before you. God said, do it. The look on their face said, don't do it, and you didn't do it. An opinion. Listen, church, we got to get to the place where we really don't care. When it comes to obeying God, we really don't care what anybody else has to say about that. We have a world that's dying for a word from God. We need to be of the attitude, we really don't care. God spoke to me. I need to obey him. I really don't care how many people frown at me. It doesn't matter. Dead person doesn't have an opinion. That dead person doesn't care what you have to say about them. I've been at a funeral where the person got up and sang a song and they don't know how to sing. And they sang a terrible song, and they did a bad job with it. And the person in the casket never complained. And we get also bent out of shape about some little thing, some tiny little thing. I'm almost not looking forward to Christmas because it's going to start in again about Starbucks cups not being the right color. Like we got nothing else going on in the world than to argue with Starbucks about the color of their Christmas cups. I don't care what color they are. Come on. Don't send a petition my way. I don't care. It's not, it's not important. 
I don't, it doesn't really matter to me what kind of sin somebody's caught up in. What does it matter? I, I, I don't care if, if, if they're drowning because they jumped in, fell in, or got pushed. I don't care. I do care that they're drowning. We've got to be careful not to be a church that can only reach out to certain types of people. Because that's what we like. Dead people don't get their feelings hurt. They not only don't have an opinion, they don't, they don't get their feelings hurt. We need to grow some thick skin, folks. Can I tell you to be a believer? You gotta, you gotta throw some, grow some thick skin. I remember years ago, Mike Warnke talked about he would carry his Bible in school. People would tease him. Well, you're, what are you doing carrying your Bible around in school? What kind of sissy are you? Mike Warnke says, so, 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 so you think I'm a sissy because I carry my Bible in school? And the guy said, yeah. He's all right, big boy. You tuck this under your arm and you walk down the hall with it. <laughs> you know, we need to get to the place where we don't get our feelings hurt. I, I know what the devil will do. He will sideline you by getting your feelings hurt because of what somebody did. Because of how they acted towards you. I want to tell you that most people, when you engage them for ministry, don't welcome it with open arms. They'll act like a typical drowning person. They'll fight you. And if you're going to do ministry to build up your ego, please don't do that. First off, it won't work. Because no ministry will really take place until God strips you of that. Until that's irrelevant. I'm not engaging you to get my, my ego stroke. I'm engaging you because there's a God in heaven who loves you more than you know. And I know that if I will persist, and I know that if I will pray, and I, I know that if I will talk to you and tell you what he says, I know that I know that I know that there will come a breakthrough. Just in the last couple of weeks, God changed my understanding about 1 Corinthians 13, where it says that love never fails. I used to think it meant that it, it always succeeded. I thought that's what that verse meant. And then just several weeks ago, the Holy Spirit pointed out to me how foolish that was. Because God so loved the world, and yet many perish. So it obviously failed. When it says that love never fails, it means it never falls short. It never quits. It never gives up. It just keeps going. It doesn't go just because it gets the right reaction out of you. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. It just keeps going. 
You can't do that if you're willing to get your feelings hurt. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking to you. Number three. Dead people don't own anything. Using the auction we were at yesterday, it was an estate sale. Everything those people owned on this planet was gone in six hours. From the Corvette to the toothbrush in the bathroom. In six hours, all of it was gone. Can I tell you, you and I as believers need to be right there where they were at 4.30 yesterday afternoon. They didn't own anything. God should be able to say to us anything about those things that he's given us. Our time, our health, our life, our car, our home. He's already instructed us, if a man asks you a coat, don't just give him a coat. Give him two. A man wants you to go a mile with him, don't go a mile with him, go two miles with him. If you own everything... If you own anything, that makes you God over that. Number four, we find it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily ensnare us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you are familiar with the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, I think maybe even back into Hebrews 10, the author of Hebrews is talking about Old Testament believers. Talked about how they had to endure things. How that Moses had to go through what he went through, and this one, and that one, and and, 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 and all that they had to do and, and, and the things that the losses they suffered and the battles they fought and not only the battles they fought, even the battles they lost. And he says now, he finishes up chapter 11 talking about Abraham and Moses and David and Solomon and all of these people 
who have now died and gone away, they're dead people. He says, they have become a cloud of witnesses to what you and I are doing right now. Cloud, you can't see it. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of there, but it's not. It's not, not real, but it's, it, encircle, it can encircle you. You can't stand on it. You can't eat it. You can't taste it. You can't burn it. You can't do anything with it, but it's there. How many know what I'm talking about? It's, it's there. And, and, and those that have gone before us, they're witnesses. What does a witness do? A witness testifies to what they saw or experienced. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, you and I are circled with all of these people and the lives that they lived and their lives stand as a testimony to the faithfulness and goodness of God. But here's the rub, church. They can't speak to you and I. Any psychic, any palm reader, any tarot card reader, any horoscope reader, any enchantress or enchanter, anybody read your tea leaves? Anybody do psychometry and psychosis on you? Claiming to be, put you in touch with your dead husband or your dead uncle or your grandpa or your mom. I'm going to tell you, you're not talking to your mom or your dead grandpa. You're talking to a demonic spirit. They can't speak to us, but their lives stand as a testimony, an unspoken testimony. You and I can speak while we're still here. I want to tell you, none of those dead people would have a discouraging word for anybody. Not a one of them would discourage us. If they could speak, they would tell you of the faithfulness and goodness of God. They would tell you to get up, it's worth it. They would tell you to press on your clothes. They would tell you, stay in the fight. And if that's what the dead would say, that's what you and I ought to be saying to people. And just maybe, 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 if the people of this planet would be hearing from the living God through the living church, they wouldn't have to consult the dead to get a word. Yes, I said it. God has done something in you, and God has called all of us to be encouragers. Not criticize somebody when they fall. Not degrade somebody. I, I knew they wouldn't. I could tell they weren't going to last. Oh, you false prophet, you. I knew they weren't any good. Don't tell that to God. He loves them. That's his son or daughter. That's his son or daughter. 
We don't need discouragement today. It's all over the place. We're drowning in discouragement. What this world needs is some encouragers. Some people that will encourage even when you failed. It seems like we have encouragers when everything goes right. Where are the encouragers when it's not going right? Where are the encouragers when you trip and fall that come alongside and say, hey, you were doing good, now get up and do good again. Where are the fathers in the faith? There was a time when Jesus himself, he, he looked at all the people in Jerusalem and he, his heart was broke and he said, I, I see them as sheep without a shepherd. I'm convinced if he walked this planet now, he'd look at a generation and say they are children without a father. Where are the spiritual dads that are encouragers? Where are the spiritual dads that are speaking life into others? Where are the spiritual dads who blow past all the obvious? You don't need to be a genius to know they wrecked their life. And I want to tell you, you don't need to tell them they wrecked their life. They know that, Captain Obvious. We are not called to speak at those things as they are. We're called in to speak to those things which are not as though they were. Anybody can look at a strung out drunk person and say, you're no good loser. But it takes the spirit of God in a man or a woman to look at somebody and say, I see a man of God in you. I see a woman of God in you. I know that God loves you. And I'm going to keep telling you that and telling you that and telling you that until you get it yourself. Where are the fathers of the faith who are dragging sons along with them? Where are the fathers of the faith who are fighting battles that their sons and daughters will never know about. Fighting for a soul. You don't have to agree with their sin to fight for them. You have to love them to fight for them. And you will never have influence over those that you don't love. You have to love them as a dad. You have to drag them. Where are the fathers in the faith that are dragging people along that maybe don't even want to go? where you're taking them, but you love them more than they love the world. And so you drag them forward because one day that little child was born to Kelly and James and it just laid there and made a mess and they had to clean up every one of them. Everywhere that child had to go, they had to carry it. But there came that moment when you put the child down and they found their footing. And finally now, they may regret it, but he can move. Okay? It may scare the daylights out of them 15 times a day, but the, he will pick them up and put them down, people. He's gone. Seriously, take that kid to the zoo. You'll pray through and get right with God because he'll be gone. Where are the fathers in the faith that are fighting? You see, if the only children you fight for are your own, that makes you selfish. 
you need to be fighting for his kids. And that's everybody you see. It's everybody you see. But if all you see is, is how they dress themselves or how they adorn themselves or how they decorate themselves or how they treat themselves or how they act and, and all you have is criticism for them, you will never be a father in the faith. Come on. Where are the mothers in the faith? Where are the mothers in the faith? The Bible says that the, the, the older women are to take the younger women under their wing. Where are the mothers in the faith? That nurture young, young women instead of criticize them. I don't like this and I don't like that. I, a dead person doesn't have any opinions. It's not about what you don't like. It's about what he loves and who he loves. Where are the mothers in the faith who come alongside a young mother? See, you're struggling as a young mom. You can do more than send a text. You can do more than send a text. You might actually have to go visit them. You might have to send them a card. You might have to call and listen for two hours as she pours out her heart. Where are the mothers of the faith? When a young mom drags her kids to church and she just needs a break, but you don't want to help because you want to get fed. And yet you remember what it was like when you dragged your kids to church and you just wished that somebody would step in and help. Am I getting too real here? Did somebody put something in my water? Where are the fathers and mothers of the faith who reached out to the struggling, who looked past all the surface stuff? Don't tell me God through his spirit hasn't been calling on you. He has. You've been telling him no. Stop it. That's my message right there. Just stop it. When he tells you to do something, quit telling him no. Just stop that. We need to be like dead people. We need to be... I saw... And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I, 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 I did it too. I wasn't a Christian. I was, I think, 17 years old. But I, I, I went to the Medina County Fair. And it was on a Saturday afternoon. And somewhere, early, and, and you know, at, at the fair, you know, you always park in a field somewhere. I mean, know what I'm talking about. And somewhere late in the afternoon, the sky opened up. And it poured. It just was like building arc raining. People started making their way to the parking lot. Guess what? Everybody's stuck. I had a truck. I had those big old, how many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And first, I just felt... I, Again, I wasn't a Christian then. I just felt good that I could get out. But I saw other people with truck with, with chains and ropes. And they'd go up to somebody and say, 20 bucks, I'll get you out. 
wow, that's an easy $20. Now, understand, $1.90 an hour was the minimum wage back then. So 20 bucks is, that's 10 hours worth. Take you five minutes to pull somebody out of the mud. And most people said, yeah, what else are you going to do? You're stuck. It was easy to sell towing service at $10 a piece. Because I was lower than everybody else, and there's 2,000 cars that need towed. It was easy. Are you with me so far? We're living in a time when, listen, we got encouragement, and there's nowhere else they can go. Where else are they going to go? Jesus once looked at the disciples and said, will you also leave me? And somebody said, Lord, where would he go? You have the words of life. Listen to me for just a moment. I, I think that God is sovereign. I'm just that way. I think he's, he's not in control. But everything goes the direction he wants things to go. And we have an opportunity in the church to be light in the midst of a, a planet that's getting darker by the minute. We can be beacons of hope in a time of extreme hopelessness. Are you stepping up for that? Everywhere, all the time. All the time. If you're not a dead Christian, you will go out to lunch today and you'll sit down at Bob Evans and they'll be short-staffed and they'll take too long to come to your table and you'll complain. And your complaint, if you had any, should be directed at the people who didn't show up for work today instead of the person who did show up for work today. But you have the right to complain and you will never win them to God I like what Max Lucado did he went out with a friend had lunch and the waitress was overwhelmed and she was doing a terrible job and she was struggling to keep up with all the tables she had to keep up with and there was no way and she was doing a terrible job and at some point in time, she finally brought out their food and she apologized for taking so long. And he said, I know what's going on. I see what you're up against. He opened his wallet. He took out $40. He said, here's your tip now. You say, he gave her $40? No, he didn't have $40 to give her. Because dead people don't own anything. $40 to you and I is a lot. How many would admit that? That's a lot of money for you and I. But if you own the whole stinking universe, $40 ain't nothing. So you can spend $40 out of your wallet and it'll bite a little bit. 
you spend $40 out of dad's wallet and you don't feel anything. Amen? I'm wondering if anybody wants to die today. I have a concealed carry permit. I'm not carrying. I just wanted to let you know that right now, okay? I'm, I'm not at this moment today carrying. I think we need to be dead Christians. There are two kinds of Christians. Those Christians that have died twice and those Christians that have died once. Everybody else is fakers. And not enough of us have died once yet. Because when you die, it's not I who live. But Christ in me. You know, the Christ who was betrayed, the Christ who was lied on, the Christ who was rejected over Barabbas, the Christ who was beaten, the Christ who had his beard tore off, the Christ who had a crown of thorns stuck on his head, the Christ who was mocked, king of the Jews, the Christ who was so broken in body he couldn't hardly carry the cross, he had to fall three times, the Christ, they nailed him to the cross and stuck him up naked before the world. I know every statue you ever see, they've got a cloth on him. He's naked. That Christ, that Christ looked heavenward and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. A real Christian has the same heart as that. When Paul said, it's not me living anymore. I don't have an opinion. I don't get my feelings hurt. I don't take it personal. I got bigger battles to fight than the color of Starbucks coffee cup this holiday season. I'm not going to shove it down their throat about how they celebrate. I just, I just, it's not I who live. It's not I who live. It's not, it's not my life. But Christ in me. And when you get to that place, you know what happens? You love your enemies. <laughs> you do good to them who despitefully use you. What? <laughs> Find that in a book anywhere. How to succeed. Love your enemies. No. <laughs> do good to them. You know that person that does bad to you? Do good to them. Nah. So we need to die. Would you stand to your feet this morning? I want to do something different. I'm, this isn't going to be a long altar service. If you feel like you just want to take a few minutes to come to the altar and pray, would you do that now? If you just feel like you want to come to the altar and pray. 
Father, as these are coming, I pray for not only these, but those online. I just, if you've joined us online and the Spirit of God has pricked your heart with this message, then I encourage you to engage God right in your home, right in your home where you're at. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining Michael Rice, Lead Pastor at Encounter. More messages from Pastor Rice are available on our website, www.wreckedbygod.com. On our website, you can subscribe to our regular podcast or on iTunes. Find us on Facebook under Encounter.